Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I actually had to go back and print scripture off because during worship I thought I was looking up just a small point to make and I feel like I have a word specifically for us from that place so I'm gonna I'm just gonna preach that and um, I don't know how long it's gonna be but I, I do believe it's it's for us before we do that um, if you have seats next to you that are empty could you just scoot either in one everyone scoot in one direction or the other either everyone in the aisle well never mind everybody scoot this way Everybody scoot that way if there's seats next to you. Yep. And, yeah, on both sides. And then I think there's room for everybody that's out there to come in if they want to. Um, yeah, there's, I think so. Um, yeah, come on in. I think if, if, if you're sitting by yourself and you see a single seat in a, in a row in front of you or something, just move into that one. There you go. That way we free up as many like double and triple spots as possible. Uh, we got... There's no Colin will be sitting in that one. There's there's one there. <laughs> oh, maybe we don't have enough room. I for some reason was thinking we would magically have enough room for everybody, but okay. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Joshua chapter six. As long as I've been pastoring, as many messages as I've preached, I've never actually preach this passage, although it's one that all of us know. Yeah, you can do that. That's fine. Leslie's trying to hide that she's pulled a chair into the middle. Uh, Joshua uh, chapter 6, yeah, starting in verse 1. Um. Everybody knows the story. It's the story of the, the city of Jericho and, and what happened to it. But I feel like there's something in here specifically for us. So I'm going to read through this and then we'll, we'll talk about it. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. 
The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed by the sword everything living in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out their entire, her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. They burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for what You're saying to us today through it. God, I ask that as I open my mouth to speak, that, that what You want us to hear would come out. And that our ears would be open to hear that we have the mind of Christ, God, that we can understand all things that You're saying to us by Your Spirit and that our hearts would be good soil, that we would receive what You have for us and that that seed of Your Word, God, would go into our hearts. They would produce fruit. God, that a people that, that don't know You would taste the fruit of our lives and see that You're good. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, I turned here because I had this thought, and I had it the other day, and I wanted to see if I could find it in the Word to, to back it up, and I thought, you know, it's supposed to take the children of, the people of Israel probably about four days to reach the city of Jericho if they would have just done what God called them to do. And I wonder if maybe the walls wouldn't have been there if they would have just been obedient. If they would have just followed what God had for them right away and gone right where He wanted them to go and hadn't spent 30-something years getting to that place. I wonder if, if they heard about the Israelites coming and started building the walls, and because it took so long, they were able to erect such big walls, and if obedience made it harder. Or disobedience, sorry, made it harder. But that, and that's what I turned there for, and I'm, I'm not even sure about that. Um, but I started reading this story, and I thought, man, you know, we're in the seventh year of being the church that God's called us to be. Um, the church as, you, as, as we know it today, the church with this name, we're in the seventh year of that. Um, and I was reading this, and the part that really struck me 
was the Lord said, I've given Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all your armed men. Do this for six days. On the seventh day, march seven times. Now the seventh time, blast the trumpet. When you hear the trumpet, then give a shout. The wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone will go straight in. And Joshua was talking to the people and he said, he commanded the army and said, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voice and do not say a word until I tell you to shout, then shout. And I was thinking about how many times in our lives that, that we know the promise that God's given us, right? He spoke something to us. Like in this case, he looked at them and said, I've given Jericho into your hands. It was no longer a question. The battle wasn't in question. It was like, oh, I wonder if we can take this city. I wonder if we're going to win the battle. It was as sure as anything that God said to him. He wasn't even mysterious about it. He didn't even say like, uh, perhaps I'll be on your side if you will follow me and if you will be and if you'll do these things. He just said, "Listen, Joshua, I've given Jericho into your hands." At that moment, the battle was over. Jericho belonged to Joshua and to the people of Israel. But but he said to him, he said, "But but I want you to do something. I want you to go there, and I want you for six days just to march around the city once." And I want people just to, I want people to blow trumpets. I don't want any shouting. I don't want any singing. I don't want any declaring. I don't want anyone even to speak. I just want you to go there and one time march around the city and I want them to blow the trumpets and I want my presence to circle that city and then come home and do it again the same day. And I would imagine that if Joshua was anything like me or anything like some of us in this room, he thought to himself, why in the world if you've given us this city are you making us go and do this six days in a row? God, if you've given this to us, let's just go take it. I know in my life so many times God doesn't give me all the details of stuff because if He told me all the details, I'd have everything figured out. I'd just go. I'd be like, okay, there's nothing left to figure out. Let's do it right now. And I would be so far ahead of His timing and I wouldn't be the person I needed to be when I got to that place. Because He's so much more about us becoming who He called us to be than even the calling He's placed on our life for who He wants us to reach. He's more interested in you than He is using you. He cares about you. He cares about the world, but He cares about you individually. And He really is, is, is interested in and loves to see us become who He's called us to become. And there's so many times that if I would have just gone into something that He showed me He was bringing me into before He told me it was time, or if, if I would have had my way, if I would have had all the details... I would have just ran straight ahead and I would have ended up where He wanted me, but not when He wanted me to be there. And I wouldn't have been the person I needed to be in that moment to do what He called me to do. And so, I would imagine Joshua thought, I wonder why we have to do this six times if He's already given us the city. But Joshua, thankfully, hears God and trusts God and says, if God spoke this to us, there must be a reason. So he adds to what God said. All God said was on the seventh day, I want them to give a shout when they hear a long trumpet. Joshua goes to the people because he understands if I tell them what God said to us and, I don't, and I'm not crystal clear with them, they'll think the cry of the battle, the war cry, is going to be the thing that brings down the walls. And they're liable to shout way too early. So he goes to them and he says, listen, we're going to do this and this is what we're going to do. But I don't want anyone to say a word. God never said that to Joshua. But I think Joshua understood when he heard what God said, there's something to the timing as much as to the what. The how is as important to God as the what. 
And so if God told us to do this specifically, there was a reason for it. And even if I don't understand that reason, I'm submitted to God to the point where if that's what He said to do, then that's what I'm going to do. And not only that, but I'm going to make sure that's what everybody who's following me does. So He says to me, He says, listen, we're going to march around the city. And He says, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day that I tell you to shout, then shout. It says, so they started to do that. And I would, have, I would, putting myself in the shoes of the soldiers, I would think, this is silly. We're just going to walk around at once and then leave. Then we're going to come back the next day. We're just going to walk around it once again. And then we're going to leave. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to do something different. We're going to march around it seven times. And then on the seventh time, they're going to blow a trumpet. And then when they blow the trumpet, we're going to give a war cry. Why not just walk up to the city, give the war cry, and let the walls fall? Why not just destroy the city the way we normally destroy cities? We're out here, there, and there. And the way that you would destroy cities normally is that you would place them under siege. So you would surround the city so that no one could go in and no one could come out. That meant no supplies could come in, no supplies could go out. That meant no water could come in, no water could come out. And you would destroy the city from outside. And then you would, when they were no longer capable of defending their city, then you would worry about tackling the walls. And you would destroy the walls, you would go in, and the city would already be destroyed from the inside out. And so you would just lob weapons over and just randomly, blindly destroy everything that was inside before you would worry about destroying the walls and going inside. So they were weakened from within before you tried to take them from without. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. And I have this is so in my head right now that I'm trying to make sense of it as I go. But, but this is what I felt like God said specifically for us is that you can know the right thing and you can be in the right place. But if you do something early, you won't get the result that He promised you. Not because He changed His mind, but because He can't trust Himself to people who won't be obedient with simple things like just being quiet until the seventh time on the seventh day. And I know that a lot of us in here have promises in our lives and things that God spoke to us. And I know that He wants to give us those things. But He also is more, more, I think He's more concerned with who He's giving them to than what He's giving to them. And He won't entrust Himself. Listen, if He says don't give your pearls to swine, in other words, don't give something of value to someone that has no ability to value it, if He asks us to live by that principle, how much more do you think He honors His own Word and lives by that principle Himself? And not giving something of value to someone who can't value it. Why would He give you a city if He can't trust you with a word? Why would He give you a nation if He can't trust you with a city? That's why He said make sure when you go in there not to touch anything that's set apart for God. What was He saying to them? There's going to be times in lives where I'm going to give you stuff, but part of that's going to be mine. And I need to be able to trust that you won't take what's supposed to be mine and use it for yourself. So that when I entrust you with more, you'll live by that same principle and you won't take what I've given you for you. Whether that's finances, whether that's influence. Sometimes He gives us influence and rather than using it and keeping what is His, His, we use it to gain more for ourselves. Sometimes we get revelation and the next thing you know, we start thinking about how we could build a kingdom with the revelation we've been given rather than thinking about how we could build His kingdom. 
And so Joshua says to him, listen, on the seventh day, on the seventh time, that's when I want you to shout and not early. There's been times in my life where I can remember specifically knowing how something was supposed to happen. Like as, as much as I'm standing here knowing I'm wearing a black three-quarter length or whatever like sleeve shirt this is, I knew what God had shown me was supposed to happen and how it was supposed to happen. And there were times where I decided, okay, then if that's what's supposed to happen and that's how it's supposed to happen, let's just do it right now. And I've jumped into something and the, and the effects of it were disastrous because I didn't wait on Him to say when. And I, I just want to say for, for our church... It may seem silly the last six years that we keep gathering together and talking about what God's doing and not seeing the actual fruit of it sometimes. We see fruit in people's lives change, but I know a lot of people felt there's more than that coming for, for, for the city of Greenville, for His church universal, but specifically for our church. And I, I promise you, what was happening was they were encircling that city slowly but surely. They were surrounding that city with the presence of the Lord every single day. Rather than it being a sudden thing and happening at once, it was a slow thing. Over six days, they surrounded that city with the presence of the Lord. And they prepared themselves for what the God was about to do. And so on the seventh day, uh, on the seventh time around, when the trumpet blasts, then it was time to open their mouths. Then it was time to shout. Then the walls fell. But the beautiful thing about that is this, is that when the walls fell, it says they went into the city and they set fire to the city, destroyed the city. But at first they said this, he said, go to the house of Rahab the prostitute and bring her and all those who are with her out in accordance to what the, the promise the spies made. Why? Because there was some that God valued within that city and that's why he didn't want the city destroyed from the inside out and because there's a wall around something that God wants destroyed doesn't mean that everything inside of it is evil and bad and he wants it destroyed and if you just go in and you'd raise the whole city you'd miss the things of value that God had placed inside of that don't tear down a city when I've only called you to tear down a wall don't destroy everything just because I've called you to destroy something or you may destroy the thing inside of it that I value and that I love and that I want to protect. I just, I, I honestly feel like this is a pointed word for, for our church family. In your lives, in our lives, be careful not to destroy everything. Don't just say, well, God's given me the city. That means it's mine to do what I wish with it. Just because God's given you the city doesn't mean that everything in the city is yours. Just because God showed you something doesn't mean that you have everything you need for what He showed you. Just because you know what's supposed to happen, don't pretend that you always know how it's supposed to happen. And please don't destroy a city when I've only called you to destroy a wall until I've got what I want out of that. Then if I call you to destroy the city, go for it. Destroy the whole thing but make sure that I get what I want first. Make sure he gets what he wants first. Make sure the thing that's of value to him that's inside of that city belongs to him and is brought into a place of safety and is withdrawn from where they are and brought to where he wants them to be before you set fire to the place. I was weeping during worship when he said that. Make sure you don't destroy a city when I've only destroyed you to call a wall. I started weeping. I thought, how many times have I in my life thought that because something was supposed to be destroyed that there was nothing good in it? 
and left behind something that he valued in my haste to go to the next battle that he's called me to. And his heart weeps because there's something of value that was left behind. I honestly feel like as we grow in revelation and in wisdom and in influence, that if we don't become people who look for what God's heart is in things, we'll miss so many things. Remember Solomon? What did he ask God for? Wisdom. Everyone knows that, right? Wisdom and knowledge, actually. And so people say, well, because Solomon asked for wisdom and not for riches, then God gave him everything that he didn't ask for along with with what he asked for. And that's true. But I don't think it was what he asked for as much as why he asked for it that moved the heart of God to do that. Because what did he say to God? He said, give me wisdom and knowledge for who can rule over this great people of yours? What was he saying? God, you've called me to something. And you've told me I can have whatever I ask. Give me the thing that I need to serve these people, not the thing that I need to serve myself. It's not a formula to get what you want because you can't fake God out. You can't come to him and say, oh God, make me rich so that I can drill wells in Kenya when really your desire is to be rich. And the drilling wells in Kenya would simply be an afterthought or something that you saw as a way to receive what you wanted. James says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with selfish ambition You may spend it on yourselves. What is he saying? He's saying, listen to me, if you're asking God for things and He's not giving them to you, it's not because God doesn't want to give them to you. It's not because it's bad to ask Him for things. It's the motive behind why you're asking Him. You're saying, God, give me this because I want it for me. And God's saying, no, I want to give it to you, but I want to give it to people who want it for other people. Because they understand that my kingdom is the kingdom that's to be built, not your kingdom. In fact, the more selfless you become, the bigger and the more gigantic and and outrageous your prayers to God may become. It doesn't mean that you're going to stop asking Him for things. It just means the reason you're asking Him for those things is going to change as you become more in love with Him and more in love with people. And as you stop thinking about yourself and you start thinking about others, your prayers may get enormous. That's not to say like feel bad asking for stuff. He doesn't say you, you ask and you don't receive because you ask for the wrong things. He said you ask and you don't receive because the reason you're asking is wrong. I don't have a whole lot to say to us this morning other than this. God wants to give us something, but He only wants to entrust it to people that understand that it's not for us. It's for the world. 
And that if He's not given it to us, maybe it's we're on the sixth day of walking around the city and we're not quite ready yet to steward what it is that He wants to do. Because if He did, we would go in and destroy everything. We would leave behind everything. We would burn everything without taking the thing that He wants from the city first. And He would miss out on something that He loves in giving us something that we want. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself, like uh, this is such a heart check for me, and this is something I'm going to take home and I'm going to chew on, and I'm going to, I'm going to really like pray about it and ask God just to make sure that everything that I'm doing, that the reason I'm doing it, as much as the why that I'm asking for, is it lines up with His reason. And that's not to say like, oh, I think that there's some bad motive in me, but I am saying that God is more concerned with me than what He wants to give me. And He doesn't want to give me something that is a blessing before I'm ready to handle it because it will become a curse. Because how many people's American dream in the 2000s turned into an American nightmare because he, they got something they thought they wanted and they weren't ready for it and it was something they weren't ready to steward. I'm saying like I think we're on the sixth or seventh day, but I don't think we're on the seventh time yet. And I don't think it's time to say a word. I don't think it's time to give the battle cry. And I don't think it's time for the walls to fall down because I think there's more that He wants to show us before He does that. I think something's being built within us as we march around the walls. Something's happening inside of us. Characters being formed. Uh, uh, an alignment, a singling of our eye is happening. That things are being aligned inside of us so that when the wall falls, we'll be able to go into the city and keep what is His, His and destroy everything that's not supposed to be. I think that's all I have. I know. I know it's short. There's something we do need to do as a family. Um, we've, we've been praying for a long time. Ever since the, um, ever since the last person who was the worship leader stepped down from that position, we, me and Patty and, and even the team have been praying and asking God who's supposed to lead the worship team, and I felt like the Lord's not given us an answer. And that was one of those things where I feel like it was a test of will you patiently do what I've called you to do while waiting for me to speak. And so I've been scheduling and m- making the song lists and filling in for people that are out of town and doing all that stuff for the past three years. My wife's been helping me. And, and every day almost at some point praying, God, will you please show me who's supposed to lead this thing? And there's been so many days where I said, you know what, I'm just going to tell so-and-so. Because honestly, in a, in a fleshly moment, I felt bad for myself and everything I had to do and thought, this is, you know, this is stupid, I'm a pastor, I'm a worship leader, why am I even doing this? And I thought, I'll just give it to so-and-so and they can take it and do what they want with it. It'll be at least as good as I'm doing. And every time I felt God say, that's not what I told you to do. Okay. And the worship team's been great because there's been no leader, yet there's been no lack of unity in the team. And there's been no ego, and there's been nobody trying to become something they're not in a position to become. They've done an amazing job with that. But I really felt like God said it's time for someone to step into a leadership position because the team needs to move forward and they can't move forward from where they are without someone actually leading them. And so we were praying about it, and Patty and I felt like this person was supposed to be the worship leader. And then I preached a message a few months ago about being able to see other people around you that are talented and entrusting them with the things that you're not good at because in giving them something that you don't like doing, you may be really just 
answering a dream that they have in their heart. You know, you always assume that like if you hate doing it, everybody else does too. So when you're a leader, a lot of times when there's things that aren't like something you enjoy doing that you actually don't like doing, I mean, I know worship leading is a little different, but I'm saying just in, 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 for a practical sake, just because you don't like doing it doesn't mean there's not somebody out there that absolutely loves doing it. Like the thing that you loathe, crunching numbers or making spreadsheets or, or organizing stuff or scheduling, things that I cannot stand doing. There's people out there that are just like, oh, I love it. And I'm thankful for them, and I'm thankful I'm not them. Um, right? Because, but, but as a leader, you'll just do things that, that, that you don't like doing because you assume that if you don't like it, somebody else doesn't. Nobody else does. But what we need to understand is that God's called us to be great at the things He's called us to be great at, and He's called people around us to be great at the things that we're not. And so I just preached a message about that, and, and Hannah came up to me afterwards, and she said, so with that in mind... <laughs> What about a worship leader? And I said, you know what's funny is for the first time in three years, I feel like we have direction from God on that. And, um, and she said, well, I think so-and-so would be awesome. And I think it's something that they really have a heart's desire to do. And it was the first that Patty and I were thinking, and so we talked that night, and we thought, man, that's really good confirmation from God. We felt that way, but now we really feel that way. And so, um, so I called the person up and said, hey, you know, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. And I told them, made them the offer of what we could offer them if they would take the position, what would be asked of them and required of them, and, and what would be given to them. And, and they prayed about it longer than I wanted them to. <laughs> Seriously. Like three days in, I was like, what about plan B? <laughs> I'm serious. I started thinking like, maybe we need to come up with a plan B. What are we going to do if they say no? Uh, and then I think it was three days in, they called, and they said, we actually had our answer right away, but we just wanted to pray about it and just be sure. And I was thinking, sweet. <laughs> I would have preferred the answer right away. Um, uh, so with that said, I, I really want to just, I want to announce it to the church, and I really want us as a church family to pray over, over Brandon and Lindsay as Brandon steps into the position of worship leader um, for our church. <laughs> Yeah, Brandon has been, Brandon's been so faithful, um, and he's given so much. Anytime I call him up, like if someone has a last minute emergency or forgets they're going to be out of town and says, dude, I totally forgot I'm not going to be here this week, I know I'm scheduled, I text Brandon or I call Brandon, I'm like, can you help me? And he sends me back this little meme from the Count of Monte Cristo that says like, now and forever I will always be your man. <laughs> <laughs> But he does anything that's asked of him faithfully. He loves it. He's a worshiper. It's, it's just who he is. Uh, back when, when IHOP out in Kansas City was meeting in a little trailer, he was out there when they first started, like on the night watch, leading worship out there years and years and years ago, long before it was cool. Seriously, because it's who he is. Um, and so I'd love for Brandon Lindsay to come up here, and I'd love for us as a church family just to pray over them and bless them into it, because it's not just Brandon saying yes to this. Yeah, it's Lindsay too. Yeah, she's the reason it took three days. I'm just kidding. But yeah, guys, if you would, if you guys want to lay your hands on them, you're welcome to come up and lay your hands on them. If not, you can just extend your hands towards them. I just want to bless them, and I just want to, to pray for them that that. God, I thank you that you will take the worship team 
of this church and the worship in this church to places that it has never gone before through the leadership of Brandon and the team that he leads. God, I thank you for giving him wisdom. I thank you for giving him insight. God, I thank you for giving him a leader's heart. God, for placing a confidence in him that says that I am not able to do this except for you've asked me to. And because you've asked me to, I know I'm capable. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the humility that he walks in. God, I thank you for the the love that he has for you that pours out of him through worship, God. And I just pray that you continue to, to, to show yourself to him that he would fall more and more in love. I thank you, God, for no pressure on him. God, that, that he feels the not only the ability, but the permission to be who he is in leading the worship team of this church. I pray for the team that you would just surround them. Give them a love for Brandon, God. Give them a, 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 a submission to him that's unnatural, God. That, that it would be so easy to lead them because they want to be led. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for Lindsay and his family for the time that they will sacrifice while Brandon um, devotes himself to this. God, I pray that you would multiply the time that they have to make up for the time that they don't. God, that you, you can multiply food. You can multiply time. And so we just ask you and we thank you and we believe you for that, God, that his family won't suffer, that it would actually be something that they would count as a blessing. God, that the favor of God would rest upon Lindsay and Brandon and their children. And because of them laying their lives down, God, that you would pour out an extra measure of your grace on them. And I thank you for that. I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah.